0: Hey there friends, it's Nick. So I'm going to talk about episode two of The Last of Us today and there's going to be spoilers if you if you're planning on seeing it and you haven't seen it or even if you've only played the game you might want to skip this episode if you're planning on seeing the TV series because some of the beats in the TV series are exactly the same as the game and some of them are different and it's really the differences that that I think are most interesting to talk about because here we have uh, a game that's that's obviously it's been hugely successful over the past 10 years many many rabid fans and changing anything has got to be a big decision for the writers and I'm curious to dig into why they are doing it uh, and you know and there's some things that are fairly obvious I talked before about the fact that they they've been public about their decision to to lower the amount of violence in comparison to the game and that makes uh, just makes practical sense because you know the gaming you know the game the game experience there's a lot of fighting there's a lot of you know relatively like a lot of games there's a lot of relatively repetitive kind of fighting and if you're in it if you're playing it it's exciting it's fun it's strategy it's it's you know highs and lows and all that stuff doesn't work so well on tv of course because it comes across as just more of the same so there's lots of practical decisions But I want to look at a couple of the other decisions the writers have made, where they've chosen to do it in a different way from the game, because I think it's interesting. The first one is a doubling down on the the idea that, that began, in fact, began the whole series. At the very start of the first episode, we have this TV clip, I'm using inverted commas that you can't see, air quotes that you can't see. We had this TV clip from 1969, which was the year when we first, scientists first noticed that the planet was warming. Coincidentally, the year of my birth. And I'm not taking the blame, <laughs> by the way, or claiming responsibility. Coincidence. But the, the idea is that, that in that way, the writers are looking to put this this particular version of a zombie apocalypse, they're taking away the kind of the, the sort of supernatural side of it, I suppose you like. I mean, you know, if you think about the walking dead or any of the zombie movies, they sort of don't make sense. Right. 28 days later does make more sense. I suppose you'd say, because there's a kind of infection and the, the, you know, the, the zombies aren't dead. They're just, they're just very, very annoyed. And, um, Eventually, without food, they die. You know, in, in, in traditional zombie movies like Romero movies or Walking Dead, they'll just go on until they effectively crumble, uh, um, decompose. But in The Last of Us, they are seeking to put this scientific spin on it. And as I mentioned last week, you know, there's th- there is this uh, type of fungus that hijacks ants, and in the first show, we're told that, you know, there's no defence against fungus. The only defence that, that primates have or, or, or other animals have is that funguses can't live in warm temperatures. They can't live in anything as warm as we are, for example. And then the, the question is posed, if anything happened to the planet that caused fungi to have to evolve to live and work at higher temperatures, then we might be really in trouble because you can't there's no medicine for this there's no antibiotics for this and actually this is exactly where the second episode kind of picked up it picked up in Jakarta where the first infection happened and it's you know the police track down this specialist the, uh, a, um, a professor from the University of Jakarta to, to you know to confirm what they think they know that the the, uh, this fungus has, been, has infected a human and to ask her how to stop it. And all she says in a very understated but very chilling seed, is, you know, there is no medicine. There is no vaccine. And now I want to leave because I need to go and be with my family. And effectively right there in those those few lines, she's waving the white hand for humanity. And she's also, I mean, I guess in the sense that this is something that doesn't happen in the game, it's about Neil Druckmann and uh, the other chap who's quoted this TV series staking their, taking the claim for something perhaps a little bit more serious. <coughs> Excuse me, a little bit more serious, a little bit more in depth. I mean, I don't know, you know, how much the the science, again, with the air quotes, the science stacks up for this, but they're looking, they're, you know, they're, they're not, they're trying to make a reality. They're trying to build a world that that has real forces rather than you know some kind of supernatural um, dead energy or, or whatever. So that was really interesting. And then the other thing that was that was different is we have in the second episode, as in the game, very early on, we have the death of one of the. The the major early characters, Tess, who's kind of Joel's partner in crime. I mentioned her last week. And this is an interesting change. In both the game and the TV show, as they're escaping Boston, Tess is bitten and she hides it until the point where there is a, a calamity. And then she uses it really as this bite as ammunition, this is why I need to stay, this is why I'm going to sacrifice myself so you two can escape. And in the game, the calamity is is FEDRA, the kind of the notional black-suited soldiers, the the militaristic kind of dictatorship under which everyone's supposed to live in Boston at the time. And in the TV show, rather than getting the same... Uh, you know, the the guys turning up in their black jeeps with their submachine guns, which is kind of a beat that we've had before in the TV show. What we get is this idea of the kind of the infected attacking in numbers. And the TV shows introduced this new concept in the world, not from the game, but this idea that um, the fungus, the tendrils of the fungus stretch underground and connect underground... And that means if you if you step on a bit in one place, it's very possible that you can kind of send a message because they're all one thing. They're like a herd, but they've got they've got a kind of a, a shared sense of what's going on through this kind of network. And if you listen to the podcast I did, when would it have been? It would have been about a year ago in October when I was reading that fantastic book, The Overstory by Richard Powers, I think um, a brilliant book, a novel but about trees and one of the things i learned in that book which is absolutely fascinating is how how much happens underground with the roots of the trees but particularly with the kind of the the fungal um they they yeah, they kind of exist symbiotically with fungus and the fungus allows them to send messages and and to move chemicals around and it's an extraordinary thing this network underground My friend Robin who's a brilliant, um, uh, foraging coach. He teaches people about plants, calls it the wood wide web. And it's an extraordinary idea. And it's there in this show. Again, I I wonder whether that's just something that's come into the, the consciousness of Neil Druckmann who's created the game since he created the game, because he's also obviously a co-writer of the series. He was directing this episode, which is fantastic. Good for him. Um, It was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. My only complaint so far about the show is that it's too short. And just to, finally, just to circle back to this this sacrifice that Tess makes. She's already dead in in both the game and the show. She's been bitten. She knows what's going to happen. And she's making this sacrifice. And as I say, in in the TV show, they change the bad guy because... I think they want to show the infected because, as promised, most of the second episode, like most of the first, is really much more about tension than violence. You know, in the second episode, we got a a relatively short sequence where they were under attack. And even that was mostly about trying to keep quiet while these, these monsters, essentially, who are blind but have a kind of echolocation... We're trying to find them. And then you get, yes, you got a couple of minutes of of, of action. But mostly this show's about character. It's about uh, the people and their relationships and how they evolve and how they collapse. And in this case, how we lose one of the main characters, really, early on. Tess is played, by the way, by Anna Torv, who's a brilliant actress. If you haven't seen the reader... Uh, the newsreader, excuse me, um, Australian TV show that she won, she won a couple of awards for, I think, came out last year. Really good show. Great actress. She can play that. What What is it? She can play that mixture of, of strength and vulnerability really well. And she does in this show. And, uh, She's been a brilliant way to to start it off. Anyway, that's my thoughts on episode two. Sorry if I'm geeking out, but I love this stuff. It's storytelling at a deep level. And if you're interested in in how you can help tell better stories, it's definitely worth watching if you can. Thanks for listening. Remember, your story means business. And if you want to dig deeper into the stuff that I do, search online for story.business. Bye now.